The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, and thank you so much for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. You know, life is complicated, and uh, one of the most complicated aspects of life is marriage. I think it not an exaggeration were I to say that the operation of marriage is a more complicated enterprise than the operation of uh, almost any complicated piece of machinery. Now, it's just that uh, marriage is so common. We see it all around of us. Uh, many of us are, are in one that we tend to sort of think of it as intuitive as having a birthday. It, it, just, it just happens. And, uh, and just as you, you get older, just as you get wiser, so you get married. It's just one of those things. And it's very easy indeed uh, to overlook just how complex it really is. Now, the reality is that most people acknowledge that uh, they are happier in a good marriage. Married people, particularly in a good marriage, are far happier than single people in general. Uh, are there those people who have made a uh, more than the best of a situation and are single, not necessarily through any choice of their own, but are single and live fulfilling and, and, and wonderful lives? Absolutely. But uh, I'm thinking in particular, and as, as you can imagine, uh, I've, I've had um, many, many years of experience in counseling as, uh, as a synagogue rabbi and in other capacities. And, and it's, it's very easy to fall into the trap of oversimplifying and sort of suggesting that trite solutions exist for all conditions. Obviously, none of that is true. When I speak about discussing and sharing with you how the world really works, that is in full recognition that the timeless truths and the permanent principles that I share with you um, are, are things that I spent over nine years studying full-time as a student, as an adult, over nine years uh, from the time I was uh, 19 to uh, the time I was nearly 30. And so uh, that I, I, I know this isn't simple, and the last thing I want to do is sound as if I have quick and easy solutions for every circumstance in which we all find ourselves. No, uh, nothing could be further from the truth. But if we can at least gain a glimpse into some of the principles, uh, they may be things that you can use to enhance your life. And uh, particularly today, talking about the, the mad and mysterious world of marriage. What has astounded me so much over the years um, is how often the application of the principle brings about a positive result. 
let me give you an example. Uh, there was a particular instance in which I was absolutely certain that a, a certain couple would make just a perfect couple. There were, there were many reasons for it, and, uh, and using, using all my analytical capabilities, I felt certain that this could work and should work. And yet, although my wife and I engineered circumstances for this man and this woman to be in one another's company in, in our home, uh, nothing seemed to catch on. Now, I would say that uh, she was, was certainly interested, and, and she shared that with us. Um, at that point, I knew him a little less well, and so was not able to comfortably uh, inquire of him at that point how he felt, because um, it, it, was, it would have been a question out of place since there, there was not even the glimmer of interest that uh, that he indicated, uh, just in terms of body language, and you know, you, know, you can tell. I mean, when you, when you sit at, at a dinner table with a, uh, a a single man and a single woman, and uh, they're meeting each other for the first time, you can tell pretty quickly whether there's any interest on the part of either one of them or or both of them. But uh, in this instance, it was it was clear that uh, that that wasn't coming from him. Now, one of the, the very basic uh, principles, and this obviously is not going to be any surprise whatsoever to you, <clears throat> is that men are more visually driven than women. And there are reasons why God created us in that way. But to at least know that as a reality uh, means that it is something that we not only can take into account, but we should take into account. And so I deliberately set about looking at this young woman through the eyes of a single man. And it became immediately apparent to me that although she was a beautiful young woman and had uh, wonderful character qualities, uh, she dressed appallingly. And um, discussing it with uh, Susan, who confirmed the observation, I immediately took her and, um, and, and told her I needed to take her shopping one afternoon, and she was nonplussed and surprised, but um, I did. Uh, I took her to a well-known uh, department store that I will not mention because they are not yet advertisers on this show. And uh, I bought an entire couple of outfits for her. I did. And I, I regarded it as uh, a charitable expenditure, part of, part of my do-good budget. And, um, <laughs> well, it made an enormous difference. Uh, when they were next invited to a Friday night dinner at our home, uh, my wife explicitly uh, mentioned to the young woman that uh, we expect her to wear her new outfit, which she did. Now, I'm not going to say that that was the only thing that, that uh, had an effect. 
uh, after all, proximity and uh, the fact that they'd seen one another for a few times was probably beginning to work its magic as well. But there was no question that his eyes popped out of his head when he saw her. And the fact that uh, Susan told her a thing or two about the effective and proper use of makeup didn't hurt either. Uh, anyways, um, needless to say, um, we, uh, Susan and I, uh, have been at the bar mitzvah celebrations of this couple's sons um, over the years, and uh, we have um, participated in, in one another's lives for, for, for many, many years. But, you know, that was one example of where a very simple rule needed to be put into play. Uh, this was not a time to speak in terms of oh, inner beauty and why can't he see how wonderful she is. The fact is that she was not coming close to looking as attractive as God gave her the ability to look. And, and this is very much a part of, of how God brings about matches, and uh, it's, it's one of the things that has to be effectively uh, employed. Um, another example with a slightly more complicated uh, permanent principle deployed, this was uh, a case of uh, a young woman, and she was desperately eager to get married. She uh, she was fairly attractive, not very uh, average, I would say, maybe even a touch, just a touch below average. But she she certainly knew how to make the best of her appearance. She did. She was always well got out and 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 um, and carried herself well. But um, she just wasn't getting married. It, nothing was happening. Now, it didn't take long before. Uh, it became apparent, and again, not because I'm smart or, or quick or experienced, no, only because I know ancient Jewish wisdom. I know how the world really works. And, uh, and so it became apparent quite quickly that the problem here was uh, this woman had become a lawyer, and she'd gone through law school and, uh, and, and become knowledgeable and experienced, and then she became a prosecutor, and she had to uh, um, prosecute and, and, and conduct criminal trials. And over the, the years, it was perfectly obvious what had happened, which is she had become hardened. She had developed a tough, competent, brittle outer shell that verged on the belligerent. And so even when she thought that she was being social and she thought she was being uh, welcoming, her face was saying something else from what her heart was thinking. And what's more, it had also become a part of her entire makeup. She was tough. And um, this, I thought, was a very interesting opportunity to help her by employing a, uh, a principle. Now, this principle uh, was something that I, uh, I understood in theory for many, many years before I became aware of an instance in practice. The instance in practice um, turned out to be that uh, 
a, a well-known psychology study, which has been repeated several times. I have one set of results in my study at home, but I've since found several other set of results, all of which correspond. And the reason the study gets repeated is because it is so um, it's so amazing and the results are so compelling that I think professors like using it because it's able to, to show a, a result, even by the way they, they, they do not like the result. The result is not one that is popular in academia. The example I was talking about was a well-known psychology study and um, it's, it's very easy to describe. What they do is they, uh, they take several groups of men and they show them pictures of uh, attractive young women. Beneath each woman is a description involving her name, just the first name, and her occupation. And what they have done is, uh, without the knowledge of the, the male participants in the study, um, they have dotted throughout the, the pictures um, some of the women they've labeled in high-power occupations, um, you know, chief engineer of, uh, of, of, of a factory, etc., lawyer, financial advisor, um, investment banker, lawyer, etc., doctor, all of these things. And then the others, uh, they've classified the women as being uh, in low-paying occupations or occupations seen. Uh, you, you know, as low pay. I mean, obviously, um, they they do pay less than uh, the the higher paying occupations, but they they're perceived that way. You know, um, teacher, kindergarten teacher, nurse, etc., etc., and you know all of that, social work, and so on. And um, and then what they do is they 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 list they they show uh, they they ask the men to rate the women's attractiveness, and um, sure enough. And this part isn't that surprising. Uh, sure enough, the men see as more attractive the women in the lower-paying occupations. But in order to really test it, they have to reverse it. And so for the next group of men, they change the occupations back to front. And sure enough, now the men again tend to favor the other women that are this time labeled as lower-paying occupations. And by the time you've redone this with group after group after group of, uh, of men, uh, you end up with the inevitable conclusion that men not only are looking at objective standards of beauty or sexiness, no, in addition to that, there's something weird going on in our minds, which is how needed would we be by this woman? How much of a role would we have to play? How important would we be in her life? Or to what extent would she respect me? And so if it was a case where uh, the, the men strongly out-earned the professions of the women they were looking at, they tended to find them much more attractive. Now, again, admittedly, for the purpose of the test, they found women of, of sort of as best as they could of uniform attractiveness. And then, as I told you, they reversed the occupations. And it always tended to overwhelmingly come out that the men saw as more attractive the women in the lower paying occupations. Okay, fine. This, none of this should shock you, of course. We've, we've been together, I'm sure. Uh, 
I think this probably isn't the first show of mine that you're tuning into. Uh, I mean, I love there to be first-timers as well, so I suppose that uh, there have to be some of you that are hearing this for the first time. If so, welcome, and don't be too shocked by anything I say. I certainly don't say it in order to be provocative. I say it in order to reveal how the world really works, that's all. And uh, as time goes by and we spend more and more opportunities together probing for truth, hopefully this will become clearer and easier to digest. Uh, I I know I'm not easy to take first time around. And now for the very first time on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, and many of us have been together on the show for a good few years already, like four or five years maybe, and uh, never before have I ever asked you to do what I'm about to request right now, and that is to fill out a survey for me. Now, it's very quick. We're talking about a few questions, four questions, the whole thing will take a minute or two, literally, but uh, it will be valuable because uh, we are trying to figure out here exactly what are some of the projects we should focus on to bring you most value during the next year to 18 months. And the way you give us your opinion on these four questions uh, will really help us feel confident that we are focusing our efforts in exactly the right direction. And so here is how to do the survey, if you would be so kind. And I don't mind wherever you are from, please. Uh, many of you are listening all over the world. Just the last few days, I heard from people in Sydney, Australia, uh, Myanmar, Vietnam, Venezuela, um, Oh, my goodness, just a lot of beautiful places all around the world. So wherever you are listening, uh, and even if it's in Kansas City, uh, go ahead and give me a minute or two of your time. It's literally not more than that. You all know the websites, RabbiDanielLappin.com, right? But now what you have to do is add to that a forward slash and then the word survey, S-U-R. V-E-Y. So you'll go to RabbiDanielLappin.com forward slash survey, and then you'll fill out uh, or at least uh, give your answers to the four questions there, submit it, and I will be happy and grateful. Uh, so that's RabbiDanielLappin.com forward slash survey. And uh, it won't take you long at all. So wherever you are listening, if you have a minute or two to do that, please do it. And uh, we'd be very appreciative and, uh, and uh, I think, deliver value to you as a result of that. And then when you've done that, uh, pop into the store at RabbiDanielLappin.com, okay, and visit and take a look. Search for something called the Financial Prosperity Collection. Uh, so... What is this? This is um, a 10-lesson 10, a 10 video program. I am teaching the principles of ancient Jewish wisdom uh, in as much as it impacts revenue increase. This isn't about getting out of debt. For that, we recommend Dave Ramsey. This isn't about investment strategy because that presupposes a uh, packet of money that you can invest. This is a program focused on increasing your income. It's not going to dramatically transform you overnight, but uh, it will transform your next six months. In other words, you look ahead six months into the early part of next year, and you'll say to yourself, you know what, yeah, 
um, that is going to be right. It's going to be a different six months. You look back and you'll say, I didn't believe I'd be able to do this. Uh, so uh, we, we deliver this material in books. We've delivered it in audio programs. But this is a little bit different because we really are presenting it uh, in a teaching form that many, many people are comfortable with. I talk directly to you. And uh, it's, um, uh, it's, it's a video format. You will watch me teaching. I will be demonstrating and explaining all the details, everything having to do with how we think about money, how you measure it, um, how you change the negative thinking that impacts so much of what we inadequately achieve. Uh, where, you know, you know this is true for athletes, it's true for uh, stage actors, um, and it's true for all of us as well. The extent to which we perform correctly in either social environments or financial and business environments depends very much on what is already in place in our hearts and in our minds. And uh, what's beautiful about this is a self-contained or a self-contained video program. You can go through it, do lessons at your own pace, one a day or one a week, whatever you wish. But at the end of it, you've actually been able to achieve measurable change. And I think you're going to find that extremely rewarding for you or for anyone else in your environment. So it's called the Financial Prosperity Collection, and it's over at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Uh, the survey, of course, is at rabbidaniellappin.com forward slash survey. And uh, that way you can do both of those things at the address you already know so very well. Right. Okay. Well, now that we've taken care of business that benefits you and me, we can get back to the subject matter. I hope you like the subject matter of today's show. And uh, you can always let me know, by the way. And again, that's at rabbidaniellappin.com. There's a place to send me uh, a message. It's, it's where you see contact us. And I do get that. I do read it. So uh, it's today's show a little bit different. The topic's a little unusual. Presentation's a little bit different from what we've been doing lately. But um, tell me what you think. Let's get right back into it now. And so uh, what happened over here in the story I'm telling you about um, I sat down and, uh, and spoke with her. We had a, a few very serious conversations. You know, how serious are you about getting married? Is this something you really want to do? Are you willing to do what? And, all right, fine. Here's what I told her that I thought she had to do. She had to take a one-year leave of absence from the city um, under whose jurisdiction she served as a prosecutor. And, um, and, and by the way, I have to tell you, every step of this was a fight. She, impossible. She can't do it. Uh, she's never heard of them ever doing anything like this. She's never ever heard of them giving a, a, a leave of absence to anybody for, for such a thing. But um, anyway, I, I persevered on this. And, um, and I said, then what you have to do is you have to spend a year as a nursery school teacher. She said, oh, I, 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 it would drive me crazy. It doesn't look. If, if at any time you want to change your priority, uh, from getting married, just tell me, and, and it'll save us both time and, and effort. No, 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 no. I said, fine, I, I really, really, are you sure this will work? And I said, well, look, 
uh, you know, I'm only a human being, and I can't give you uh, 100% guarantees, but I believe it will. I really do believe with every shred of my being, with every morsel of my experience, I think this is going to work. And she said, what are you saying? So I said, you have to become a nursery school teacher for a year. <laughs> she said, uh, why? I said, look, I, I can't tell you why at the moment. I'll tell you after you've been doing it for four months. Uh, I will tell you, but I, I, I don't want to tell you why right now. The reason was that I didn't want to, to be offensive. I didn't want to tell her that she had developed a hard, ruthless kind of a personality that was not attractive to, to men. We, we, we want somebody softer. We, we want somebody um, who we can protect and be there for. We, we want somebody who will look up to us and respect us and... Uh, and the way you are right now, I can't vi visualize you respecting any man for anything. You're just totally self-sufficient. Um, you, you know, you've, you've been on your own for many years. You're at the top of your profession. Men tremble in front of you. Uh, and so uh, I couldn't say any of that to her, but I told her I would tell her after she'd been doing it. For then she said, oh, I, I'm not qualified. I can't. Be, how could I ever become an, an, an I don't. I have to go back to school? I said, no, you really won't. Uh, there's a nursery school, a part of an educational system in which I wield a, a tiny little bit of influence. And um, I, I think you'd really be good at it. I, 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 I don't think you would be um, horrible to the little children. I think you'd be good for them. And dare I say it, I think they'd be good for you. Anyways, uh, long story short, she, uh, she agreed. The educational system I uh, was um, somewhat involved with agreed as a favor to me uh, to take her on and hire her as a nursery school teacher, which they did. Um, turned out that um, she really enjoyed it. Now, what I didn't know was that <clears throat> I was inadvertently making a terrible enemy of her father, uh, who subsequently, I have to tell you, um, caused me um, considerable uh, pain. Um, which he saw as revenge and retribution for what I'd done to him. What had I done to him? He only had one child, a daughter, and this was her. Uh, he was a successful lawyer in the city in which this uh, transpired. <clears throat> and uh, his entire goal throughout, since she was a little girl, was for her to become a lawyer and uh, eventually to come into to join his law firm. And his whole plan was working out perfectly. She was um, a lawyer, she was going to get experience as a prosecutor, and then she was going to uh, eventually join his firm doing defense work, and uh, his life was going to be complete. And along came this, I should mention, by the way, he was also a, a secular Jew, so to begin with, uh, there wasn't a natural sympathy between us. And... Um, and it was bad enough because I had already been influential in his daughter finding God, uh, becoming a religious Jewess and um, Bible-believing. So he was pretty upset about all that to, to begin with. But when, as he saw it, I turned her from a lawyer into a nursery school teacher, none of which, I mean, I didn't, right? She, she did it. I just gave her the, the option and explained to her it would be beneficial to her. And... Um, uh, you know, she did. She actually became a good nursery school teacher. She liked it. But what was amazing was the impact on her. I don't know what she did for the little kids. I suspect she did them a lot of good. But what they did for her was incalculable. They literally changed her life. Well, 
before very long, a young man who knew her but had never, ever considered her marriage material came to tell me that uh, he started thinking about her. And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I've known her for a long time, but we've just been friends. I've, I've never thought about her as a possible marriage partner, but I, I really would like to date her now. I said, well, why don't you ask her out? Go for it. And uh, he did. And uh, the end of the story is that um, she actually never went back to being a prosecutor. Uh, they got engaged about uh, 10 months into the, the program. And you know something? After four months, I was waiting for her to come and ask me again why this was going to work, why I wanted her to, uh, to try out leaving the bar, leaving the trial court and becoming a, uh, a nursery school teacher. She never did ask me. And so to this day, I don't know if she figured it out for herself or it wasn't important anymore or it didn't matter. I don't know. But uh, what I do know is that they got engaged, they got married, they are still uh, wonderfully married, and um, they've got a lovely family, their kids are terrific, and, and there it is. And again, you know, no credit, no credit, I'm not suggesting any, anything, I really don't. This is nothing for, for me, but I do suggest it is to the credit of ancient Jewish wisdom and how the world really works. Um, what you do affects what you are. Uh, the kind of profession you're in does shape you. There is no question about it. How you spend your time, what you do day after day, even what you do in your leisure time really does impact you. And so knowing that and knowing that um, being the, the kind of lawyer that she was, there was no question it was having an impact on her. And again, as her rabbi and somebody who, uh, who knew her well, it was understandable that I, I may not have noticed it right away because you get used to a person. But uh, the change during the first few months of her activity as a, as an element, as a nursery school teacher, incredible. And uh, she did become more attractive. I could see that. There was no question about it. But more importantly, the man who became her husband could see it as well. And uh, I never, never knew, I'm quite sure, he didn't put two and two together. Uh, her friends were puzzled, and she just said, you know, I'm, I'm, taking a, uh, I'm taking a leave of absence from law. And she did, by the way. She got a one-year leave of absence from her job. She never went back to it, but uh, initially she did get that one-year leave of absence. And she just told people, I just wanted to have the experience of nursery school teaching, which she did. She loved it, but more importantly, the impact it had made all the difference. Why do I tell you these stories? Um, to illustrate... The fact that there is a vast body of tips and tools and techniques uh, that ancient Jewish wisdom stresses for the correct operation, maintenance, and best performance of that amazing thing called a marriage. And uh, these tips and tools and techniques are, are things that everybody should have in their arsenal, husbands and wives, single men and single women, um, are things that uh, would really make life easier, smoother, and much, much more fulfilling. What happens when uh, we're in repair mode, right? Yes, there are, are things to do to keep a car operating properly. Um, there's maintenance that should be done. But what happens when something goes wrong and now we need a repair, right? You need a mechanic. 
right? You, you're not in a position to just sell the car and get rid of it and get another one. You don't want to do that. Similarly, in the system of marriage, divorce does exist in the Bible. But notice, interestingly enough, that uh, throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Old Testament, you don't find any stories of uh, Mr. A and Mrs. Uh, B divorcing. Right? You don't find it. Um, you find situations. You certainly do find uh, uh, complicated marriages. You do find marriages with difficulty. But after all, uh, Scripture does allow for divorce. It is there. All right? the, the, how it should happen, the mechanism, the understanding that a marriage is a religious covenantal relationship and that undoing it in a divorce uh, requires a spiritual mechanism to undo the covenantal relationship. It's not enough to merely go through a civil divorce and have the government wave its wand and say, okay, you're divorced now. All right, that, that may be true, but the, uh, the spiritual bond will not be severed until there has been a divorce process which is every bit as uh, ritual-filled and as spiritually authentic and as uh, substantive and as significant as the marriage was in the first place. And so uh, uh, the, the, the Bible tells no stories of people getting divorced because it wouldn't reveal anything, right? The Bible doesn't speak about every single human being that ever lived. Of course not. It's, it talks about individuals whose life stories matter to us, not historically, but in terms of practical information. And so all we need to know is that divorce is, is sad, uh, should be avoided wherever possible, but it is there, it is a possibility. So we don't need a story of a biblical couple getting divorced. It's not necessary. Uh, but what we do need are stories of couples who, who deal with problems and who deal with realities. And, uh, and that's really what it is that I want to look into. And um, coming up, we're going to talk about one of the most difficult situations of all for women. My website <laughs> feels like it always comes as an anticlimax. And coming right up is one of the most challenging circumstances in which women can find themselves. And here is a commercial. <laughs> uh, but the reality is that that's exactly what I am doing. My website, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, to be candid, as I'm sure you understand, my capacity to do these shows is utterly contingent on the extent to which I am of genuine economic benefit to you. If I create nothing that is worth enough to you to pay for, then I need to be doing something else, right? That, that's exactly, unless you're in government, that's a very basic lesson. In government, I can continue taking your money, whether you like it or not, whether or not I deliver anything to you of any value. But in the real world, God's world of personal finance, God's, God's world of human economic interaction, I have to choose what to do and how to spend my time based entirely on how useful I am to God's other children, and that's you.
And uh, here we devote ourselves to exploring together how the world really works. And one of the ways in which the world really works is that women want to be possessed by men worthy of them. Women deeply desire to be able to surrender to a man they feel worthy of their surrender. I realize, obviously, the, uh, the challenging nature of the, the topic I'm discussing and the, uh, the forthright way in which I present the material, but we don't have time to beat around the bush, and, uh, and there are going to be some of you I recognize that are going to be uh, so dismissive and simply going to say, you know what, I can't listen to any of this. This violates everything I know and I believe, in which case I'm sorry to see you go. I really am because I cherish everybody who, who listens and is part of the show. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do understand that uh, there are some people uh, for whom what I say is cognitively dissonant, meaning that it, it threatens so much of that to which they have already dedicated their lives and, and that in which they are so fully invested already that the very notion that their outlook might conceivably be mistaken is so unpleasant as to evoke almost physical symptoms of pain and, and unhappiness. And so, uh, so I recognize that. But, uh, but I know that most of you are going to wrinkle your brows and say, what, really, is that true? Let me think about that. Well, let's, let's hear just a little bit more on this topic. And so, hoping that that is you, uh, we, we move along and, and look at, yes, one of the least enviable positions for a woman to be in, one of the tough positions in which a woman finds herself, um, is married to somebody she does not respect. Married to somebody that uh, sometimes she's embarrassed by. Married to somebody that um, she sometimes wishes she wasn't married to. What's, what is the situation? Well, I'm speaking about women who are great women, great wives, who are married to men without ambition. Men who underperform. And yes, men who do not live up to their promise. And, um, and that is a, a very, very difficult situation for a woman. It really is. Uh, and what makes it so painful is that you probably know already, but I'll say it as well, which is there is very little that you as a woman can do about this situation. Now, let me just make clear. I'm not speaking about physical abuse. Uh, I'm not speaking about um, uh, other totally unacceptable scenarios. I'm looking at milder but still very painful disappointments. Wives who find themselves married to guys who um, do not provide or do not provide adequately uh, men lacking in masculinity and mastery. Uh, what about men with absolutely no money sense? Right? Men who, um, who, who won't keep a job or men who insist on trying to start one business that fails after another. Um, men with no self-discipline. 
uh, and, and yes, without ambition. What do you do when you're married to a man like that? Now, I realize that many men are probably right now saying to themselves, well, why doesn't he talk about uh, men who are disappointed in their wives, uh, men who are married to women who don't take care of themselves, women who withhold physical affection as if it's some kind of reward when I'm a good boy. Um, you know, yes, gentlemen, uh, that doesn't belong in this particular show. It deserves a show all of its own. And I have to tell you, in many ways, it is a far, far easier topic than the one I'm doing now. And I'll tell you why. Because in the overwhelming majority of those cases, those are problems that you, the man, can fix. In many cases, they are problems that you, the man, caused in the first place. And uh, they are, are problems that uh, you should repair. But in this case, I'm talking about women who fell in love, married, um, loved with, uh, with, with warm and open hearts, um, women who, who believed that they were marrying their, their one true love. And as a little time went by, they realized that although their hearts started off overflowing with love and wanting to be givers to these men of their dreams, as time went by, they realized that, um, and very often by, not that the men have changed, but that they didn't see it at the beginning or that what they were looking for changed. Uh, very often, and I say very often, and I mean very often because I, I've, personally been involved in in many instances where it's uh, where, where cases of young women who were detached from how the world really works and they were enchanted by other aspects of the man other than ambition and money in fact in i'll give you some examples um there was a woman i knew who uh, who just fell in love with this guy. And I mean, she was way his superior in many ways. And she was totally taken up with his otherworldliness. He was an artist. And she was so uh, filled with, with enthusiasm for his purity that she started seeing herself as having a role in life to make it possible for this guy to become a great artist. Now, I will tell you the truth, I did everything I could to discourage her from going ahead with it because I saw that he was utterly without talent and that his engagement with art was more than anything else a refuge from reality. But nonetheless, she, she went ahead and, and again, as you can imagine, it was only a few years of marriage where she was forced to begin to acknowledge that uh, success would forever elude this guy. And he would forever switch from one form of art to another, always seeking what was finally going to be his, his big breakthrough. So that, that, was, a very, that was a very common uh, experience. I've, I've had that kind of thing happen more than once. I've had it manifest itself uh, through religious faith among both Jews and Christians, where uh, a young woman felt tremendously drawn to a, a man who was dedicating himself to ministry. 
either in the Jewish community or in the Christian community. We don't call it ministry so much in the Jewish community, but he, somebody who wanted to become a rabbi, and she saw her role as, as furthering his, his ability to, uh, to pursue his uh, Bible study. and his, Anyway, same story, a few years down the road, and there may be a couple of children, and now all of a sudden the realities of life coming on, and she's realizing that uh, he, he lacks... Uh, ambition. He even is lacking a certain masculinity and a certain, uh, I call it mastery, which she yearns for. She yearns to be married to somebody who, you'll pardon me, I'm going to, who can handle her. Right? She, she wants to be married to somebody that she feels worthy of giving herself to. And it's tough. It's tough because, um, uh, a, a a wonderfully thrilling thing for a woman is to be able to surrender to a man that she looks up to. And in all of these cases, not only wasn't she able to surrender to him in any way whatsoever, but in many ways she was being, being forced to take on the masculine role, the role of primarily concern for the destiny of the marriage and the family, the safety and the security of the marriage and the family, because the man to whom she was married was reneging on those obligations and those duties. And now, as I said, uh, the Bible does present us with many instances of marriages that uh, suffered from various different flaws. Uh, there are cases of good men married to women uh, who were not so good. Plenty of cases like that. But what we're looking at in today's show is uh, good women married to men who are disappointing. And, uh, and yes, there are examples. In uh, the 25th book, uh, 25th chapter of the first book of Samuel, um, there is a, a story of a, a woman called Abigail who's married to a uh, repugnant boor, a, a really unpleasant man called Naval in Hebrew, or Nabal. And uh, this is a guy who, who embarrasses her constantly. Now, sadly, I'm sure you know, as do I, uh, there are couples like that, where sometimes it's a case of the guy getting having a bit too much to drink at, uh, at public gatherings, and his wife is invariably embarrassed by that situation. And uh, there are other instances, other examples, but the model for that is Abigail and Naval. There are other instances where a, a woman finds herself married to a guy um, who is just totally, uh, he's not as smart as she is. And, and, and let me say something else here. Uh, I'm too far gone into the pit of political incorrectness <laughs> that, as you know, I pay no attention to that whatsoever. Uh, I do believe my job is to tell you the truth and that that is far more important than being popular or being uh, widely liked. I'm never going to be widely liked um, because the culture today is dominated by, by liberalism, which uh, rejects truthfulness and uh, embraces cowardice in favor, of, uh, uh, in favor of truthfulness. Political correctness is just another word for cowardice. It's an attempt to turn cowardice uh, into a virtue, which is, it most assuredly is not. But let me just tell you 
and this will not come as any surprise to you women listening. Uh, to men listening, this will, I think, to some of you come as a surprise, but if women are honest about it, which most of them are, they will acknowledge quite openly that most women would like to marry somebody who is taller than they are, smarter than they are, and richer than they are. That's a reality. Sometimes, sometimes you only get two out of three. Sometimes, you know, you have to make do with one... We all live in with life, and, and life at the present time is imperfect because that's how God wants it to be in order to make us grow and make us develop, uh, to become worthy of the, the ultimate uh, spiritual eternity. And so dealing with, uh, with what we are, uh, we, we take a look at, uh, having looked at Abigail and Nabal, why don't I give you an example of a woman who's married to a man who is not as smart as she is and uh, not as accomplished as she is in any way whatsoever. The book of Judges, chapter 13, um, tells a fascinating story about uh, an angel appearing to a woman married to a guy, Manoach. Now, in Hebrew, Manoach means taking a rest, relaxing, all right? The very opposite of ambition, right? An ambitious man can never stop being creative. An ambitious man is looking to build and expand and develop and to grow in every way possible. And uh, for a woman, it's usually a delight to be married to a man like that. This woman is married to uh, a different sort of guy. Um, he's not as smart as she is, and he's certainly not as uh, advanced. So not surprisingly, when it came time for an angel of God to appear, he chose to appear to the woman, not to her husband. And um, and she tries to uh, uh, to explain to him everything the angel said, and he he, he doesn't he, he's got to see this for himself, and he misunderstands it, and he doesn't quite get it, and the angel almost is incapable of withholding its contempt <laughs> for this guy. It's really when you see the picture, when you understand what's really going on here, uh, you'll giggle when you read chapter thirteen because. Uh, you know, you sort of can see the angel rolling his eyes when Manoah says to the angel, so uh, what is it exactly we're supposed to do about this child? The angel probably rolls his eyes and he wants to say, you nut. I've just explained this to your wife. I know she told you. You need to hear me say it again. Fine. Uh, but what we're getting is a very clear picture of a marriage that um, goes ahead and they stay married and they have this child, Samson. And to what extent are the tragedies later on in Samson's life um, impacted by the fact that he had a dad who was kind of, you know, not the equal of his mom? Uh, and we, d we don't know any of that for sure, but one can certainly imagine some of the impact there. It is uh, very difficult, very difficult for a guy to grow up um, seeing his mom running the show and his dad being very, uh, pretty much yielding center stage completely in, in the way the family sculpts its destiny. So, uh, so who knows? But how does uh, this lady deal with it? Well, one of the ways that Scripture tells us she deals with it is by doing everything possible to, uh, to make him central, so much so that she doesn't even reveal her name. Right? She's the wife because she's trying her best to build up her husband and make him into more than he naturally would want to be or, or would be. 
So that's a terrific thing. And uh, so it is. There are other examples through Scripture as well. And uh, in, in some of the material that is available on my website, I go into greater depth in, uh, in resources on marriage and so on. But for now, for the purposes of this show, uh, I want to just focus on the practicalities. And, um, and I want to take a look at some of the, the practicalities here. Uh, so there you are. You're a woman and uh, you're married. Let's say you're married to a lesser man. And yes, you love him and you've been a, you're a wonderful wife. And you, but you're not, right? This is not really what you wanted, not really what you saw. And there are even times you ask yourself, is this how you really should spend the rest of your life? Or are you still young enough to start again? You know, what, what, what should you do? Because this guy is, is so much not what you want in a man. And yes, you know you picked him and you, you married him. But, okay, what's, what's going on? So, in terms of uh, practical benefit, and again, uh, please don't think that I'm dispensing uh, relied upon solutions for each and every one of you ladies in this situation. No, of course not. Each and every one of you is in a very specific situation with its own challenges and its own blessings and its own problems. And, uh, and, and you need to, to explore that, and, and I'll explain how to do that in a moment. But, but for now, at least, I wanted to let you know that this is not a, uh, a lone situation you're in. This is something that happens. This is something that people find themselves in. And it's not black-white. It's not great marriage, bad marriage. There's gradations. And, uh, and sometimes you're very, very happy, and other times you're a lot less happy. Uh, that's perfectly normal. That is perfectly natural. That happens in a marriage all the time. But, um, but here just are a couple of approaches that are at least the start of how I tackle these situations when I am involved in a, in a direct, uh, personal kind of a way as a counselor in the situation. Uh, so, so one thing I, I have to say to you is um, you have to stop unhealthily indulging in daydreams and fantasies of the ideal guy you wish you were married to. And I should tell you, ladies, that this is exactly the same advice I give to men. And it's more than advice. It is actually an aspect of, of Jewish law, even. Guys, uh, daydreams are destructive to your marriage. There is no question about it. As a matter of fact, uh, I even encourage men who are not entirely happy, I encourage them to avoid uh, swimming pools or beaches, where there are nubile 19-year-olds in bikinis. I discourage that. Why? Because we are, yes, we are visually driven, and uh, I guarantee you these, these visual images will make you less satisfied with your wife. It is not possible, right? Your wife, no matter what a beauty she is and what a magnificently wonderful and incredible-looking woman she is, uh, she, there is no way she can physically compete with a 19-year-old in a bikini. Not possible. So avoid those situations. Avoid daydreams. And again, with men, uh, there's another problem. Again, not to touch on it uh, over here, but that's the pornography problem, obviously. And so exactly the same thing to women. 
do not indulge in fantasies and daydreams about this ideal man that you could be married to. I, I, for one thing, you can absolutely count on it that this ideal guy you fantasize about, so different from your husband, he would come with just as many uh, of the bad qualities be as a result of precisely those things you now find attractive. In other words, what makes a man attractive in some areas also brings disadvantages in others. And you can just think about that for a moment. You'll see that that is absolutely true. So in exactly the same way as that ideal guy that you dream of and stop dreaming about him, but you used to dream of this ideal guy so different from your husband, do you really think he's not going to come with drawbacks? Do you really think he's never going to drive you crazy? Do you really think he, he's never going to make you think you, you made a horrible mistake marrying him? Of course he will, because guys, like all of us, we have qualities, and they are for good and they are for bad. In exactly the same way, right now, you may be in a, in a phase of your marriage where you are pretty much heavily focused on the negative aspects of your husband. But don't forget, they came with positive qualities as well. They must have, because those are the ones that attracted you to marry him in the first place. And so you have to work on making the best of the situation. Right? In all of these situations, obviously divorce is a choice. I'm not, I don't even have to spend time on that. But the downside there is so enormous that it is really worthwhile doing everything possible. And you haven't done everything possible if you haven't stopped with the fantasizing and started trying to focus on the things that attracted you in the first place. Um, moving on to, um, to a second point. Is it possible that your husband gradually evolved into the man that he now is, and the man that you, putting it strongly, have growing contempt for, you don't respect any longer? Is it possible that he's gradually evolved into this partially because of your style. Is it possible that, and, and again, every wife wields enormous influence in a marriage, enormous, right? Uh, women, you don't, you don't begin to know just how much influence you really wield. Is it possible that inadvertently, not deliberately, but inadvertently, part of how you live and behave and conduct yourself and interact has moved him in the direction that is driving you crazy. I'll give you an example. Is it possible, I mean this is just one of the most obvious ones, but there's so many subtle ones. Is it possible that your yearning for power and conspicuous success professionally um, has moved him to retreat from from competing with you in that area. Is that possible? Is that possible that just because of, of uh, career success that you have pursued and, and possibly at a time when, when he has had less uh, success, he has slid backwards and yielded and his ambition has eroded and little by little he's become the guy you're unhappy with right now. Is that so? If it is, Rather than divorce, wouldn't it be worthwhile exploring something very, very scary? And that is maybe a careful, strategic retreat 
from that particular stage would leave him free to return to it, right? That's a possibility. And certainly something worth considering. But at any rate, a, a wide-ranging exploration of how much of who he is today is a result of what you have helped to create. Because husbands influence wives, and wives influence husbands. There's no question about it. Um, Point number three. Point number three is that, um, and it's it's a tough one to accept, but that is that, and I'm talking to women, you possess very limited power to change your husband directly. Because in a, uh, a paradoxical kind of a way, if you did change him, then once again, you will end up unhappy with what you have created because you're not supposed to be his teacher, you're not supposed to be his schoolmistress, you're not supposed to be his therapist, you're not supposed to be his mentor, you're not. And the more of that you do, the less happy you will ultimately become, let alone how miserable he'll be. But we're talking about your situation right now. Uh, so I have to tell you that in the, uh, in the overwhelming majority of cases, almost all cases, uh, only another male can help your husband change the behaviors that distress you. Right? It's difficult to hear that, isn't it? I, I, I do understand that, and, uh, and, and I understand that it's, it's, not, it's not great news. But on the other hand, knowing a reality uh, is helpful because it lets you at least move into a zone of effective modification, which before you knew this, you were trying to do it yourself, and you kept on asking yourself, why am I making the situation worse? Everything I'm trying to, I'm helping him, I'm telling what he has to do, and yet it's only getting worse and worse and worse, and he won't listen to me. <laughs> he's listening to you, okay? Uh, he's hearing you. He doesn't like what he hears, and he's not going to react. He's not going to do it. He's not. He reverts back to a um, angry little boy who um, wants to rebel against his mommy because he doesn't want you or need you as his mommy. So um, another man, how do you make that happen? Well, one of the things that's good news is you can encourage him to seek the friendship and brotherhood and the mentoring of another man. You've got to be very careful very, very gentle, very, very careful. Um, maybe it's a pastor or a rabbi, a, a wise religious leader. And by the way, those are harder to come by than you might think, but they are there. Um, it might be a relative, you know. Maybe, maybe it's your father, like his father-in-law. I've seen situations like that that work very well. Uh, maybe it's an uncle or somebody. Uh, maybe it's a business associate. But um, as a wise and wonderful wife, you actually do possess the ability to quietly encourage him to seek out masculine guidance in his life. And uh, that can be life-changing. And then finally, the last thing, I'm, I'm going to just put this very briefly and leave it to you to understand the, the full depth of what I'm saying. And that is, ladies, please never, ever underestimate the masculinizing impact on a guy 
that physical affection from you can bring about. I'm going to repeat that. Please don't ever underestimate the powerful impact, the powerful masculinizing impact, the powerful ambition-building impact that your love and physical affection can bring to a man. Okay? All right. That is as far as we can go today on the very worrying topic of um, wonderful women and married to guys who are not quite doing their part. Tough, but not hopeless in any way whatsoever. And so um, I hope that this has been um, interesting and perhaps even helpful. Uh, it's just that I've had so many inquiries lately from women who've written emails to me. And how do you send us an email? On our website. That's right. You go to rabbidaniellappin.com, and there is a place to ask the rabbi. Uh, there is also a place to shoot us direct in emails, and... Uh, and we appreciate it very much. We also appreciate general informational emails. If there are things you like, things you don't like, things you want to recommend or suggest, I value them all as I do your participation in this show. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, your rabbi, wishing you a week of good health and prosperity. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.